being the change you want to see in the world isn't necessarily necessarily about um, being the change. So the change so I can remember things, the change so that I could be who I thought I wanted to be or be who I thought I was before the, the brain injury. The change was to put on a new lens and to let go of and stop beating myself up for everything I could no longer do and to really harness and dial into what I could do with the person I am today rather than the person I was yesterday. Because brain injury or not, we're always uh, evolving, we're always changing. We aren't the person we were a minute ago or a month ago. We're forever emerging into newness. Hello everyone and welcome to the Eat Realty Heal show. This podcast is all about sharing stories of using food as medicine to heal and other healing modalities that you may not have thought about to include in your journey of healing to overcome an injury, a chronic illness, or anything that's setting you back from really reaching your true potential. Because you are a divine human being. You are supposed to be out there living your life to the fullest, not being held back by pain and lack of energy. You have the ability to be an energetic human, just perpetually creating unlimited energy so that you can do all the things you were meant to do. Most importantly, be out there pouring your gifts into the world, being of service to humanity and this beautiful planet that we live on. That's what this show is all about. On today's podcast, we have an incredible woman. I just love this woman, Natalie Forsbauer, her family who have been in the healing world for a very long time, particularly through regenerative organic biodynamic farming. Natalie's grandfather was actually a professor in Germany teaching biodynamic farming for decades. Her father has an incredible farm. Their family owns a farm in beautiful British Columbia. Her sister has a farm. Natalie has an organic farm. Her brothers have organic farms. This family is truly magical what they're doing because they are repairing the soil to ensure that we have food on our planet for generations and generations to come. So you need to listen to this podcast, hear what Natalie has to say and start making adjustments every single day in your life to move towards living more sustainably, more authentically, more in alignment with the principles of nature to ensure your health, your children's health, your community's health, and of course, the health of the planet. So Natalie, is a TEDx speaker. Please listen to her TED Talk. She's an award-winning entrepreneur and author, a traumatic brain injury survivor. And she's also an organic biodynamic regenerative farmer, as I mentioned. She is so passionate about human potential, just as I am, and seeing people live their best lives. As a brain injury survivor for now over 16 years, she ignites hearts and connects people to what matters most, waking up and radically and gently turning trauma into triumph through compassion and grace. In addition to all the things that Natalie does, she's also trained in polarity therapy. So you're gonna learn about that on our show. She's trained in lots of other neuro um, medicine, alternative um, techniques, 
neurofeedback, transformational leadership, and more. So she is going to bring a wealth of knowledge to you. And I hope that you take what she says and start to put it into practice now. Now, before we jump into the show with Natalie, which I can't wait to get into, I just want to let you know of an amazing new program that we have launched. We are still doing 22 million strong where I'm going to be training to run and bike across Canada to meet with BIPOC communities all across Canada so we can uncover the barriers to accessing clean real food. But in addition to that, we have realized that even though we have several green mustache locations, organic plant-based whole food cafes, we are not going to get the results that I want to achieve in my lifetime. So what we are doing is training other restaurants globally how to make food that heals instead of harms. And that is our Green Mustache Certified Chef Training Course for restaurant owners and chefs. So if you know anyone out there, anyone out there making food, anyone out there with a restaurant or a cafe or doing catering, Anybody who likes to prepare food for other people, please let them know about our program because we're only training 1,200 chefs this year on how to add menu items to their menus so that when people have diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disorders, allergies, infertility, even cancer, they can go to your restaurant and they can be rest assured that they will get a meal that is going to heal their microbiome that is gonna regenerate their cells and their tissues that is gonna help their bodies heal instead of eating meals that do further harm. So they can sign up for our chef course at greenmustache.com. That is mustache, M-O-U-S-T-A-C-H-E.com, greenmustache.com, all the links are below. So without further ado, let's jump into this incredible podcast with Natalie Forsbauer. I can't wait for you to hear everything that she has to say. See you at the end of the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Nicolette Richet, and on today's show, we have Natalie Forsbauer with us today. Thank you, Natalie, for being here. I'm really excited to be here, Nicolette. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a pleasure because you are a mom of three. You are an amazing, wicked entrepreneur. You're in the regenerative healing space on all levels. So everything from the farm space to the body space, the mind, the heart, the soul, you really, really bring in regenerative healing from all angles. And I cannot wait to share your story with our listeners. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So one of the things that I want to get into, because you've done a number of things, you've done a TEDx talk, you are, you have Heart and Soil magazine, which we're going to get into. Um, you grew up on an, on an organic farm. That's a mouthful. And um, so you've done a lot, but I just want to go back to when you were little, because I often think that people who are in this space that you're in, that they had a connection to nature from a very, very early stage. And would you say that that was the case for you? Absolutely. hundred uh, percent. Well, I remember being a really little girl uh, under the age of five and my favorite place was to be out with the cows or down by the stream or underneath one of our big, big old trees. 
And what was that like? Do you remember some of the thoughts that were going through your mind as a little kid when you were like sitting underneath those trees or hanging out with the cows? Well, I remember the smells and I remember thinking how magical it was. And, and um, I remember I actually, we had this counting Daisy and she was super, super friendly. And I actually remember laying down with her in the field. And um, my memory is that I actually laid down and I could put my, my head on her tummy as she just kind of laid around and lazed around. And I remember just how expansive I felt and how curious I was about what others were experiencing. And I know that sounds really odd being so young, but I, I do remember what life was like for other people. And I remember feeling really blessed to be able to, um, I had such a sense of freedom, like such a sense of freedom running around by the creek and just sitting under this, um, the trees. And I remember loving the smell of the air and yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. And I've, in my research that I've done, I've seen a lot that really does um, lend it a lot of research that says basically if people who are out there making shifts in the world, they are out there fighting climate change, you know, they're out there doing regenerative farming, um, you know, anything to do with, I would say, climate change, the environmental movement, the human health movement, a lot of these individuals spent a lot of time doing exactly what you just described, being out mm -hmm. in the world. And it's probably the one thing that I'm just so curious about because you're a mom of three and I'm a mom of three and you know our have our children lost that and I'm just curious to hear some of your viewpoints on that just from the perspective of a mother who's been observing your own children in this world versus the way you grew up and and what are your thoughts on that oh I love this question Nicolette because it's something I've wrestled with and had a tug of war with a lot um, because when they were young, when they were under the age of four, we were on um, a farm out in Saskatchewan. So we had 2000 acres and, you know, they're running around outside a lot. And then I moved to Chilliwack and uh, and lived in town. And so they didn't have that experience, but they had um, my parents' farm, which we would go to and visit. And so I was really grateful for that. And I know for sure my children have spent more time indoors, I think, than I might have spent indoors. And at the same time, my youngest, you know what one of her favorite smells is? The earth. Like when she smells the earth, she's like, that smells like Goma's Nopas. And she just loves it. She tells me that that's one of her favorite smells. Wow. So I love that she has that connection. And um, and like one of my, one of my children, he, was really into gaming and loves computers and spent a lot of time indoors doing that. And um, the one sport that he really, really was attracted to, which I was adverse to because I have a brain injury was football. And um, one of the things that attracted me to football is that I knew for sure he'd be outside multiple times a week in the mud, in the dirt, in the rain. 
Um, and so even might not be in the trees, at least he was like connecting with nature, which I think that's something to consider when we're raising our kids, if we can't get them like on a farm or in what we might think is the ideal environment, how can we connect them with the elements in what they are interested in? Yeah, no, and I love that you brought that up too, because there is this, you know, belief that the only way to build this innate connection with the earth, you know, to get somebody to appreciate the the smell of the earth and the taste of the earth versus being afraid of it and being afraid of insects is that they have to be immersed, immersed in nature. And uh, one of my favorite books is Last Child in the Woods. And I love, there's a passage in the book that just talks about the fact that kids can be living in a city but they can be walking down the sidewalk and see, you know, the weeds growing up through the sidewalk and still feel that connection to the land. And so, yeah. you know, and helping the child have even those experiences as well, or even in a park in a city that you can still get access to that. But I definitely think that, um, you know, having a parent that's mindful about, you know, connecting your child to these elements though is an important thing. And I know you've been doing that with your children just as your parents did with you. So let's mm -hmm. go back to your parents' farm because this story, I remember when we first met, I was asking you about that. Like, what was it like growing up on a farm? Man, it, that uh, is a powerful question because we, I grew up in an organic farm, a certified organic and biodynamic farm. And that was um, a long time ago when a lot of people weren't farming organically or biodynamically in our community. And so we were kind of um, the oddballs who weren't, my dad, my, there was a time when my dad used a little bit of glyphosate and, um, around it, which um, is another story, but mostly we were um, farming organically. And um, so, you know, we were running around in bare feet. We were, um, I always had dirty fingers and dirty nails. And um, often I'm pretty sure I went to school with like stained knees and, <laughs> and it wasn't because my parents didn't love me. And it wasn't because I didn't wear clean clothes to school necessarily. It's probably because I played outside before I got on the bus to go to school. And so by the time I got on the bus from leaving the house, I, I was already, um, uh, you know, dirty from head to toe. Uh, and the other piece of growing up on the, on, on the organic farm, which was really, um, kind of magical was we did have a forest at the back of our farm, which we played in a lot. So there was a lot of time for make-believe and there was a lot of time for just, um, how do you say, or like organic play. So really um, like spontaneous and imaginative exploration. Yeah, which is so critical now, especially as, you know, we live in a world where we drive our kids to school. And, you know, I know that allowing kids to have that ability to even just walk to school for 20 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour or whatever it was that our parents used to do, that it gives them the yeah. time to unwind and to be in their own thoughts. Whereas now it's, you know, it's a rush here, rush there. And so, yeah, I think it's, I grew up very similar to you. I didn't grow up directly on a farm, but my parents would, uh, we were on uh, three quarters of an acre. It used to be an old 
uh, orchard. So we had tons of fruit trees on our property that we used to climb and live in and, you know, eat yeah. all the fruits. And so, yeah, I grew up very, very similar, um, minus having parents that were farming. And what was that like for you? Because I know in the farming, in, in the, amongst the world of farmers that we know who supply our green mustache mm-hmm. cafes, you know, mm-hmm. I see them wake up at five in the morning, they're out in the fields, you know, everything changes seasonally. And so what was that like for you having parents as farmers? That's a really good question because, uh, you know, my dad and my mom worked really, really hard, like mm-hmm. really, really hard, Nicolette. And I'm not saying that our farmers don't work hard today. And I think some of them have to work harder than ever, especially with the, the price of land and that type of thing. Um, but my dad worked a full-time job. He got up at um, like maybe 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, milk, like we had one or two milk cows or, and we had some goats at one point as well that he milked. So he'd do his morning chores and commitments and then he'd go to work and he uh wouldn't get home until like five or six in the evening and then he'd go out into the fields and work until it was dark outside so um so I grew up with a dad who worked a lot and who was really passionate about what he was doing and because he really really wanted to farm he was actually going to university before he decided to go into farming and then my mom I'm the oldest of 12. So she had um, like, there's a, um, like a multitude of children all the time running around. So she had that on her hands. And plus she had this brand new organic farm that they were emerging into and growing into that had all this extra produce that they had to sell. So I remember being packed into our car with like five or six of us at the time. We didn't have have to wear seatbelts and I'm not kidding you would be piled on top of each other and there would be bags of beans and bags of cucumbers underneath of our feet in the back seat and you know piled up around us and the trunk of our car would be piled with as many bags of cucumbers and and, um, beans that they she could put in as well and we would drive from store to store to store to store to see if somebody would buy this organic produce which um, might not have been as pretty and um people weren't very welcome to buying at the time. And I remember sitting in the car and every time my mom would get in after going into the store, my heart would either sink or it would like Mm -hmm. burst wide open. And of course it would sink when she just got into the car and we drove to the next place. And then it would burst wide open when she would go to the trunk of the car and pull bags out that the store was going to put in. So it was... It was really powerful to see um, her commitment and her passion. And, uh, and it's probably one of the places that I learned not to ever give up on something that I really believed in. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, mm-hmm. I know where that's coming from because, um, you know, with our restaurants, we source from all the local organic farmers that we can. And I see how hard they work. And I see when they come into our restaurant at like seven in the morning after they've been up since five picking and bringing in like bags of their produce. And, and I know for a lot of farmers who don't live as close to, you know, city centers, it's very, very hard for them to get their produce 
to these locations mm -hmm. because um, they have to be working on the farm versus running around and doing deliveries. And so this is the part that, um, yeah, like ultimately farmers are our heroes. They are like, you know, they are greater than the Supermans and the Batmans and the, all the Marvel heroes combined. <laughs> like they're the ones who are producing the food for us. And especially when they're doing it organically. And like you said, the piece that breaks my heart is when somebody looks at an apple or a carrot and it's not the perfect shape that they're seeing that matches the conventionally grown food that's been sprayed. And so then they mm -hmm. don't want to eat it versus if you just took a bite out of that crooked carrot or sometimes you see them intertwined around each other which i love seeing um yes you know it, they're so delicious and that farmer works so hard to produce it and just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it should not be eaten so yeah your your parents really are superheroes yeah and i'm so glad you mentioned that about the imperfect fruit or, and food or some people call it the you know the ugly food um because I had a house helper um, when the children were young and she was such a blessing. And, uh, and she was a young woman in her early twenties, um, going to nursing school. And I remember she, you know, the first little bit that she came in, she'd throw away food. It was on my counter. And I was like, you what? She's like, well, yeah, there were marks on the apple or there was um, like, I had milk kefir on the, on the counter. She's like, well, it looked rot. It's looked rotten. And I was like, ah, so there's a huge educational opportunity. And now I'm not kidding. She throws, she keeps food and eats food that I would find marginalized. Um, and it's, but it's so inspiring because now she has children and she's also teaching them that uh, you don't have to throw an apple away that actually has a mark on it because that's where it was resting on the branch. Or maybe that's where the stem of another apple just accidentally poked it. It's, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's been marked. Yeah, no, and it's true that education is needed because, you know, we had um, au pairs live with us as well when our kids were little and they all have their babies now and they're feeding them the most incredible, healthy whole foods. But when they lived mm. with us too, a lot of them had never even seen, like one had never even tried broccoli before, ever. And we would eat broccoli almost every single day and like 10 different varieties of broccoli. And, you know, another one had never tasted, you know, some of the, the fruits that we grow in British Columbia, even though her parent, one of her parents was a chef in a, you know, fine dining cuisine and had never, they just, she had never been exposed to these incredible whole foods and um, seen them ever presented whole. So this was, this is something that we need to do. Definitely. It's that education for sure. So you've done her a huge favor by teaching her the power of food, even when it's not as pretty as it, mm. um, you know, as it technically, you know, should. And I have quotation marks going around, up around should. Yeah. And so being a, um, where were you in the, in the group of 12 of your siblings? Oldest? Yes. The oldest. You were yeah. the oldest. The oldest. Yeah. yeah. I can't even imagine what that was like. I was the oldest as well, but only I have three younger brothers. What was that like growing up the oldest of 12? Well, it was pretty awesome because um, I, I, I loved being the oldest and I loved doing, I, I was super, um, like I loved putting plays on with the kids and I loved, I was, I was really into track. So um when I was training as a teenager, I would um, have races with them and, you know, like I'd have to run double the time and they, but they would each get a different leg to run. And 
we, when we weeded out in the fields, um, we would sing songs a lot, like do rounds and do action songs like down by the bay and we'd sing um, like just it, it, so we would make it fun. And then we we'd do, we'd play leapfrog. So leapfrog weeding is when you have a long row to weed or a section to weed. And I might start at the beginning and the next one will start 20, you know, 10, like five steps in front and the next person is five steps in front. And so as soon as you're finished your little section, you get to go to the front. And so it makes weeding a lot more fun. And, uh, and so I, like, I only have two of my kids out here right now. And, um, I play leapfrog with just the three of us. Uh, but I learned those things because we had this, you know, this big community on the farm to, um, there's always someone to play with. and There's always someone to fight with. Yeah, no kidding. I know what that's like. I cannot even imagine because I have my three girls and, you know, the amount of, um, fighting, but the amount of love as well. So it goes both ways. It is. Yeah. When it's on, it's on. And when it's off, it's off, but it's just all part of the package. And I just can't imagine, you know, that times four in the house. And, you know, it just, it's incredible too, just to know that that's what your mom did. And also that's what you did, like as an oldest sibling, you know, there's a lot more responsibility that comes with that. And, um, yeah, I think that's uh, obviously has also lent itself to where you are now and your resilience and your perseverance and your ability to do so much in the world too. Yeah. Yeah. So growing up, you're the oldest of 12 and then uh, you go off into the world and let's jump into that space because coming from an organic farm, what did you do when you left home? Well, Initially, I really thought I would be in university and studying um, to do some type of sports, uh, sports medicine. And that's what I went to do. I, I played basketball and then I was um, just in a little car accident, but it was, um, it was, it, um, it was on my 19th birthday, I think even. And uh, I got a concussion and some soft tissue and a back injury. And I never really recovered from that, Nicolette, and um, was being diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and went through a lot of different therapies. I had some really progressive thinking doctors. So I had done acupuncture and um, uh, how do you call it? Like massage therapy and chiropractics and physio and all these different modalities and that nothing was really moving the needle. And then when I was being diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, I sat my doctor down because I went to a support group and I met people that I'd never like people who were so, um, and I use this word really lightly broken. And what I mean by that is I met people who had children who couldn't even hold them on their knees because it was too exhausting. They needed help to go from their bed to their, to the bathroom at night. And mm-hmm. I remember going to that support group, making a doctor's appointment, like the next day kind of thing and going in and sitting down with my doctor and saying, okay, (laughs) this is a problem because I'm 20 years old and I, I cannot, like if, if I could barely raise my arm above my shoulder at that point. And I was like, if this is where I am when I'm 20, I I, I'm terrified where I'm going to be when I'm 40 or 30 or let alone 50. So he, um, sat me down in return and he said well what's happened Natalie is 
when you first, when you first were injured, your body was injured, but then the longer it takes for your body to heal, the more of a learned condition it comes becomes for your body. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, if my body can learn to be in pain, then it, it's got to be able to unlearn to be in pain. And so then I asked him, well, what do I have to do? And he talked about my immune system and he um, spoke, he um, helped me understand what I, different things that I could do to build my immune system. So I went on this um, journey to start building my immune system. And then I met a woman at a dinner party who did polarity therapy. Oh, and I, uh, he also told me that I could not expect quick results. So he's like, it's taking you, you know, a year and a half to two years to get to this point. So Mm -hmm. it's going to take you months to rebuild and come back into yourself. But I was super committed. So I was willing to do the work. And then when I met this woman at, at a dinner party who did polarity therapy, she worked on all these pressure points down my right arm. And I was like, wow, it feels like there's like electricity, like running through my veins and I went and saw her for a number of sessions and I noticed I was feeling better emotionally mentally physically spiritually I could raise my arm above my my head and I I I knew at that point that I needed to learn what she was doing so then I went and studied uh, polarity therapy and became certified and started my own practice as a polarity therapist because it it made such a huge impact in my life and so that's where I, it was um, not the sports medicine that I thought I would be doing, but I was still working with people and teaching them about their health and what they could do to learn about the role that they play in their own health and, and um, to really, uh, for lack of better words, take responsibility for where they're at and how they could move forward with where they wanted to be and where they wanted to go. Yeah. And what I love about your story too, is that, um, you know, right now I'm teaching a course and it's called get up your fat ass, but fat meaning you are fabulous. You're amazing. You're authentically you, and you have the power to transform yourself. So that's F A A T. And so it's about the fact that you are already whole and complete and perfect as you are, Mm -hmm. even if you are, let's say broken, as you say, you're still completely whole. It's just that we might need to, for example, trigger some nerves to regenerate, or we might need to nourish the cells and the tissues a little bit more so they can become more active and alive and create energy for you. But all the pieces are there. We just need to activate it if you're not where you're at. And I love what, I love just the chain of events, right? Because here you are you know, you've grown up the oldest of 12, you've grown up on a farm, you've been outside, you've been eating good food, you think you're going to go into sports medicine, and then all of a sudden you get in a car accident. And then all of a sudden, the course of your life is changed. And for some people that that their perception of that whole experience could definitely bring them down. And they might not be able to feel like they can get back from that. But no matter where you are at, you know, there is always a solution right? Even if you're like this guy, I just found on Instagram who had both his arms and his legs amputated. He, you know, he was a surfer, lived in the beach, just beautiful man, strong, and he got meningitis and um, which resulted in him having to get uh, four amputations in one go. But now he's out there and he has four prosthetic limbs and he, he's out there on a track racing, you know, and he wasn't doing that before, but he was motivated to do it. And I just think about stories like yours or stories like his, like that's obviously on the extreme side, 
you know, and, but there's always a way, you know, you can still live your fullest life. And then also just keeping yourself open to, for example, polarity therapy. And so I want to dive into polarity therapy because, you know, I know a lot of different therapies and I know a lot of people who don't know very many therapies beyond maybe going to their general practitioner and maybe getting a massage, you know, going for a Cairo yeah. might seem woo woo to them or going for physio. They're like, I don't know about that, but here, what is polarity therapy? And if you can dive in and explain what it is and how it works. Hmm. Well, polarity therapy is probably one of the most holistic forms of we could say alternative complementary medicine. It was founded by Dr. Stone. And it's it, the umbrella belief is that our your energy flow is your blueprint to your health and wellness. So the more freely your energy is flowing, the more balanced and healthy one is. So Dr. Stone was, uh, he, I grew up in North America. He is super committed to health and healing. And he was very curious about why people had different healing experiences. And so he studied chiropractics, uh, naturopathy, neuropathy, ancient hermetic sciences, Ayurvedic medicine. And he really was committed to figuring out like, why was it? Because it wasn't just one modality that made a difference. What was it when, within all these different modalities that made a difference? And what he found was they all worked with energy balancing and energy flow. So mm -hmm. he took what he felt was the most, um, uh, the most successful or like um, profound principles from the different disciplines and he put them all in together for polarity therapy. So it really incorporates thought awareness, mm -hmm. uh, diet, uh, body work, uh, both really gentle. So working with balancing the nervous system and the parasympathetic and the vagus mm -hmm. nerve and all the way to really deep structural work like rolfing. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, it's really profound and very, very diverse. And it's really, I, I've studied a lot of other uh, practices since then. And it's the by far one of the most comprehensive systems that I've ever studied. It's really powerful. And when you're working with clients, do you have to be with them face to face or are you able to do any work since like, for example, COVID hit, obviously that changes the way everybody practices. So how did that change? Yeah, for you? yeah, it does. Well, I haven't actually been practicing for quite a long time. Um, I do practice because it's the way I live and I mm -hmm. practice in terms of I'll, I'll do work on my family and friends. And sometimes I do do remote healings. So there's a lot of polarity that can be done um, from a distance. So the diet awareness, thought awareness, um, changing habits, processes, which is all about, um, you know, breaking through what people might call limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. Those types of things can all be done at a distance. Also, there's a certain amount of energy healing that can also be done um, over the, over, like from distance healing. Uh, the structural work and a lot of the um, the hands-on work, of course, can't be done. So it's kind of like seeing a chiropractor. Yeah, yeah, that would be hard uh, to you be. You have to be. You have to be. I'm, you know, with the hands. So I, I think there's 
there's definitely some that can be done. And I have done some remote sessions with people because um, even though I don't practice, I do meet people who I know that um, would really connect with the work. So I, mm -hmm. I share that offering with them and, and do it with them. So it's, it's a gift to be able to do that. Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, I know for a lot of people who, because we're teaching retreats, we get clients from all over the world and, you know, we'll be sitting around and we make, um, I talk about it in almost every podcast because I think it's so important, but we have this whole health team that we, we help our clients create. So on that team, you know, you might need acupuncture. So someone who can do that for you, or you might need somebody who can focus just on, you know, calming your sympathetic nervous system or parasympathetic nervous system, or you might need someone who can do the structural adjustment like a chiropractor, or you might need a GP who can write a prescription for an antibiotic if like nothing else works. Yes. And so by having this whole health team, and it can be as, as this team can be as big as you want it to be. But what it allows you to do is look at your sheet where you've outlined all these practitioners and all of these different fields. And you can intuitively just decide what is it that I need for my body? And when you say, for example, doing the work through the phone and through distance healing and, and helping somebody move their energy, I know scientifically the results you can get from that um, because of the fact that we know the effect of a even just talking to somebody on the phone and having a very calming conversation that that relaxes your nervous system and then that allows your immune system to kick in and then that allows healing to take place, right? So when some people are thinking, oh, that's not possible, we can't get results over the phone or we can't get results over a Zoom call, it's actually quite profound what a practitioner can do and especially with the training that you have as well because of the power of the brain to heal the body. I mean, that's really where it all stems from. Yeah, that's really powerful to presence Nicolette because, you know, I think of it sometimes like our inner compass and it's really hard when we're sick. Like it's really hard when we're in or um, not well. And what's hard about that is sometimes we become so familiar with that and so connected to that that it's hard to reorient or even imagine where we want to be or what we want to do or how we want to feel. And so yeah. a big part of those distant, you could say distant sessions or distant healing sessions is really about really deepening into our self-awareness to notice where we are at and then reorient. It's like flying a plane 99% of flying a plane is course correcting right to where that plane wants to land. The plane isn't yeah. flying in a straight line from A to B it's course correcting. And so when we are able to notice where we're at and notice and have intention with where we want to be and how we want to live, how we want to feel, then we can, we're course correcting, right. With the support mm -hmm. team that we have around us, like you're talking about with the foods that we eat, with the thoughts that we think and, and it helps us like, just kind of dial into that so that's also part of um, the power of just presencing yourself with somebody who can hold that space for you whether yeah. they're in the room or on the other side of the world 
Yeah. And something else that you said that was really powerful as well, just about your own healing and what that practitioner had said to you is that, you know, the healing isn't going to happen overnight, right? Like everybody wants spontaneous mm -hmm. healing. And yes, there for sure are cases of spontaneous remission, spontaneous healing. But for yeah. the most of us, mm -hmm. like what, 99.9% .9 of um, humans on the planet, it is, it, our body needs time right? It's working on these cyclical cycles of healing. And I love that piece about the course correction as well, because I know if a plane or a ship is off by one degree, it can take you to the other side of the planet, right? Like you can literally be on the, like, you know, millions of miles away from the destination where you were headed and only because it was off by one degree. So that slight little yeah. course correct every single time does get you to your destination. And then the third yeah. piece that you said that's really powerful, and I, and I just love that you hold space for people in this way, is that you allow people to figure out what they want. And I think this is probably one of the biggest, um, I think, I, I don't want to say downfalls or setbacks, but so many people have never even asked themselves what they want at all. Yeah. Like even like if they're injured, if they're sick, if they've lost their job or I can't work or, you know, if they're a parent and, you know, all of a sudden you wake up and you have three kids in your life, you know, but to actually stop and say, like, what is it that I actually want? And I have seen such powerful healing take place just from individuals who have said, you know what, I want to live by the ocean, right? They just... They, they say that in some of our sessions and then I get a phone call three weeks later and they're like, we sold our house here and we bought a house by the ocean. And, and from that, so much of the stress leaves their body and then yeah. healing takes place when meanwhile, they thought they were just sick and broken and tired and they never thought they'd ever feel well, but it was from actually asking what they wanted and then being able to take action from that. And I'm sure you've seen lots of stories like that. Lots. Yeah, really and, powerful. And so... Uh, I want to dive into, so you use polarity therapy, like with your family, like you said, and friends. And so is this something, you know, that people can readily go study and learn about and where would they go to learn about this more? Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. So polarity is more popular in, in the States than it is in Canada. Um, and I, there might be um, a, tra a training program still in Ontario, um, but most of the training programs are in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Okay, so okay, that's good. So we'll put a link in there just so people can get familiar. And of course, we're going to drive them to your website because your website has so many great, um, you know, pieces of you know amazing information, great resources. Especially like if anybody wants to go to the course section of Natalie's website or the neurofeedback section um, of your website. There's just so many beautiful things there. So where does Heart and Soil magazine come into all of this? So you, you go and you study polarity therapy and then you start working with people. Yeah. And is it okay if I just back it up just yeah. for a second, Nicole? Let's okay. Back it so, up. um, so, um, So I studied, so I had this little minor concussion. I'll call it a minor concussion. I had had a couple of concussions before that from sports and stuff like that, but I had this other minor concussion when I was 19. And then I, you know, fully healed from that, studied polarity therapy, had my own practice, um, went into being a professional speaker and really leaning into teaching people about um, how to be healthy when they have no time. And, 
and, and, and I was just really pivoting into launching a career in as a professional speaker. And I had built an online membership portal for corporations and individuals um, with uh, they're called polarity energy exercises to help reduce shoulder pain and back pain. And um, I called it mouse arm fatigue, you know, people who are on the computer all the time. And, um, and I was on my way to my first book launch for health in a hurry. And I acquired a major brain injury because our, the vehicle I was in drove off the side of the mountain. And, um, and the reason I wanted to back it up to this is because in polarity, when I first started studying polarity therapy, one of the, my deepest learnings, because I really just thought I was going to go in and like, learn how to like fix people and heal people. And one of my instructions was like, I, I'm in tears because some of the work that we're doing is so hard. It's just, I'm, I'm feeling it in my body. And, um, and she says, uh, she says, Natalie, well, before, before you can work on people, you have to work on yourself and you have to heal yourself and I was like I have to what <laughs> and so I went through this massive learning about um really learning what healing meant to me and her, and and working through a lot of my stuff so that I could hold learn to hold space for other people mm. as they were working through their healing journey and in that one of my deepest learnings was that um it's powerful to meet a person where they're at in their healing journey. And it's really helpful to help them define what healing is. And when those things are connected, a healing can happen a lot more quickly. And sometimes, um, and I, and I, I feel safe to say this on the pot, this podcast, because I think we speak the same language in terms of like, you talked about spontaneous healings or remissions. And, and I, and I experienced that in my, in my, um, in my practice and it was really powerful you know people who've had back pain all their life and after one session they have no back pain that kind of thing mm -hmm. and then I landed with this major brain injury and I there are a couple of things happening Nicolette one is um I I I wasn't fully aware or and I didn't fully understand that I had a major brain injury mm -hmm. and I also thought I could heal it the way that um I had healed everything else in my life, you know, very quickly, very easily, very effortlessly. If you do the right things, if you yeah. think the right things, if you have the right vision, if you have the right mindset, then um, anything can be done. Yeah. And, um, and it just wasn't that way with the brain injury that I acquired in 2003. And it really, it really brought me to my knees because it had, it, it had me really deepen into what healing really was and is. And, um, and I ended up redefining healing through having a brain injury that just would not get better. So can you share with us um, that new definition of healing from that experience, because I know for yeah. a lot of people, it's either just being 
sick and then you're not sick anymore. Like that's often what healing is, or you have a broken leg, but then it's not broken anymore. And, you know, we take for granted what not broken is. And then we only really experience, um, you know, the, the pain and the trauma and the, and the anxiety and the hold back and setback from when, you know, whether it's a broken bone or an illness or, or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I'd love to know like what that looked like for you, this new definition of healing. Thanks for asking. Um, well, what I learned was that healing is not fixing a broken bone or get, getting rid of a disease or an illness or a condition. But what it really is, is it's really embracing who we are, where we are in this very moment. And so that doesn't matter if you're, um, you know, you're falling apart emotionally or mentally and having um, massive amounts of uh, anxiety, or if you have a brain injury and you can't remember what you did 30 seconds ago, (laughs) let alone five minutes ago or the day before, it's really meeting yourself where you're at and, and sitting in the messiness of it and 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 it might sound funny but it's it's really like it's really almost like being okay with that you know it's like it's like this is who I am and this is where I'm at and being present with that Mm -hmm. instead of like fighting for where you want to go or fighting for who you want to be it's meeting yourself for who you are and where you're at and then taking the next step because if we're always out in front of ourselves, not being good enough or not being like well enough or not being able to do what we think we want to be doing, Mm -hmm. then we're tripping over ourselves. And, and it, we're also beating ourselves up for not getting the results that we want or being where we think we should be able to be. Yeah. And I see that every single day. I mean, it's something that I think every single one of us, right? We all have this idea of who we want to be. Like, I still want to be the 21 year old athlete that I was. Um, And I forget that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like 46, 47 in this, you know, mom body. And, you know, thank goodness I eat well. And, but you can never go back to being that, but there's still this, I don't know why our brains hang on to that. And so it does actually, I was about to say it takes work, but I actually want to say it's actually not work. It's about letting go to meet yourself where you are, but we make it work. We make it hard because we keep painting the picture. Like if I just do a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that and a little, a lot more of this and a lot more of that, then I'll get to there as opposed to Mm. who am I right now? you know, and how do I feel in this body right now? And I mean, I know for myself, like I rarely spend time in that space. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with the quote is that be the change you want to be in the world. Right. And I remember I live by that. I live by that. And then it didn't work for me. And I went through a time where I actually, uh, Stained that quote because mm-hmm. it did not work for me. It didn't matter how hard I, I tried to remember something. It didn't matter how hard I tried to be focused. It didn't yeah. matter how hard I um, tried to like remember where I was driving. I couldn't. It, it it actually didn't work. And the harder I tried, the 
um, it was like, it was like the more salt that was poured onto that wound because there was, the needle wasn't moving. And I felt like I was doing all the things right. You know, I was eating the right foods, what I, I thought I was thinking the right things. I thought I was doing the right things and, yeah. and the needle wasn't moving. And so, but the powerful part is, um, and what brought me full circle to being, uh, present with that quote again is being the change you want to see in the world isn't necessarily necessarily about um being the change so Mm -hmm. the change so I can remember things the change so that I could be who I thought I wanted to be or be who I thought I was before the the brain injury the change was to put on a new lens and to let go of and stop beating myself up for everything I could no longer do and to really harness and dial into what I could do with Mm -hmm. the person I am today rather than the person I was yesterday because brain injury or not we're always uh, evolving we're always changing we aren't the person we were a minute ago or a month ago we're forever emerging into newness mm-hmm. I love that it just made me think about our restaurant and how you know every day we take inventory of what we have right we're like okay we know that we want to make this food tomorrow but we can only do it if we take inventory and it doesn't matter you know what we had yesterday or the day before because every day is forever changing and so it actually just brings you right into the here and the now right? And to take that inventory and then say, you know what, this is the resources we have. These are the staff that we have. These are, this is a food that we have. And, you know, and some things you just can't change. Like sometimes that truck can't get through the snow to deliver the food or the farmer calls you and says the bear ate all the romaine and, you know, and what are you going to do? Do you dwell on that? Do you curse that? Or do you say, okay, you know what? I'm taking my inventory. This is what I can do. This is where I am right now. This is still where I want to go, but it's more about that presentness that that showing up today and just seeing everything for what it is. It's um, and then recognizing that that is. I love how you said that. That is in itself the change, because that's where the emergence yeah. happens is from that place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Really powerful. Really powerful. Yeah. I love that metaphor. I love that. Well, no, and thanks for sharing that new definition of health too, because I get trapped in that as well with having clients, right? Like Mm -hmm. I see them with their condition, their illness. And I'm like, I know that we can take you from this to this, you know, and to be, and it's because I want them to be free of pain and I want them to see their innate potential. And I want them to feel that energy that is within them and can be within them because I just know how good it feels and how liberating it feels, but that it's, it's true that it's not about reversing the disease. It's about all the processes they go through in the reversal Mm. of the disease, the mental, emotional, Mm. spiritual, uh, the connection to family, the connection to nature as they taste these beautiful foods that are healing them and shifting their thoughts. So no, I love that. It's, um, that in itself, you could probably write an amazing book just based on your new definition of health. So I need, so can we go back to when you got your first concussion and when the doctors mm-hmm. were saying, I don't want to even want to say that you had fibromyalgia, but fibromyalgia like symptoms, like I hate the diagnosis. So did that, did you, and then through studying polarity therapy, did that all heal? And then you got this brain injury? From the yeah, it did. You know, um, and it was funny because, um, 
at the time I was in the training, I was with uh, one of my favorite people um, who is a dear friend and mentor of mine. And I was like 20 when I was taking the training and everyone else was in their forties. There was one other woman who was in their mid thirties. And so I ended up having a whole bunch of um, like men mother mentors, I guess you could say. Mm. Anyways, one of them had a daughter who was around the same age as my, me who had a brain injury. And at the time I had been diagnosed with a concussion and a lot of my symptoms were the same as her daughters, but I was also being diagnosed with this fibromyalgia chronic fatigue syndrome. And um, at the time I kept thinking, well, oh, it sounds like I actually have a brain injury, but um, at the time it wasn't, it, concussion and brain injury weren't um, interchanged like they are today. They weren't connected like they are today, 30 years ago. Um, and where I'm going with this is through the polarity therapy, I learned a lot about my role, my responsibility in healing. And I think that's what helped me. And I got a ton of body work done, you know, like, and we had to, we had to practice and do everything that we were going to do with our clients. So I did multiple building diets and multiple cleanses and multiple, um, changing habits process, which is, is changing, um, limiting beliefs and, like, I mean, the list is long, Nicolette, mm -hmm. of all the different kind of work that I did with myself. So it really, I think, propelled me forward in that healing process. Mm -hmm. And it still took a good two or three years before I really, I think, got my health back to the point where I yeah. could run 10K again, you know, three days a week. And um, I noticed I was way more scattered after that concussion in 1990. But um, I, you know, I pulled it together. I launched a business. I had my own practice and was doing really well. I wrote a few books, published one, you know, contributed to a couple of others. And I really felt like I had my health back like hundred percent. And that's why I have the book here. That's why I wrote health in a hurry and it's simple solutions for the time starved. And, um, because I really believe that, um, when you do little things every single day, that that's what contributes to our health. So it's, if people mm -hmm. think they have to make these massive changes to regain their health or to be in the health that they want to be in. But I think it's the little things we do every, every day. Oh, and um, so I don't know if that answers your question about the fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. It um, does. I was just, so I was just curious about the timeline of that. Cause I know that uh, I left that one kind of open for listeners mm. to wonder like what happened with that. And, and also I just want to, just to make sure I got this right. So it was the combination of the eating well and the, you know, getting body treatments and shifting the mindset and doing mm -hmm. the energy work. And, you know, then of course you asked yourself what you wanted and you started studying the polarity therapy. And so that combination got you those results, but then yes. you end up. Yeah. So yes. Right. Okay. Yes. Good. And I did, I just want to, I just want to um, put in there. The first thing I did was, um, building my immune system with supplements and herbs. And because oh. I didn't mention that, and I think that's a really important piece. And um, can we talk about that then? Cause I really, yeah. you know, in the world of so many supplements and so many herbs, and it's hard to know. I have a girlfriend who, um, Serafina uh, Campros, and she, she's a herbal medicine, you know, woman who teaches people all around the world. And I mean, if I even had one tenth of her knowledge, I'm sure that, you know, 
oh my gosh, we would do things so much differently, but it, it's hard to know, right? I know the world it of is. supplements more um, and I'm not afraid of supplements. So anybody who's listening to this, you know that you just can't get every all your nutrients through food. So we do have to supplement and that's the stance I take. So let's dive into that and let's help people understand like when you mm. decided to focus on your immune system and how did the herbs and the supplements come in? Like, did you already have the knowledge? Did you find someone who helped you with that? How did you get to that yeah. place? Yeah, well, I was really blessed because I had, um, I had, because we're in, I don't know if it's because we're in the alternative kind of lifestyle, my parents are organic farmers, that we had these connections, but my chiropractor taught me about pressure points that I could work on to, um, like, if I had a, a virus, like, I don't know if you've ever had just sore neck and shoulders, mm -hmm. and it's actually a viral infection, it's not, um, that you pulled your muscle, it can show up in your body as an ache, right? right? And so he showed me these pressure points that I could work on to help release that because I've go in, he's like, actually, this isn't um, structural. It's a, you've got a virus. And so I'd be like, oh, okay. So he taught, so I'd, I'd, I was introduced to that at a really young age. And then um, like, so I'm talking like 11 or 12 years old. And then uh, when I had this concussion and my immune system was, was down, my doctor said, you know, you're gonna have to build your immune system. I'm build my what? And he said, build your immune system because that's why you're getting sick all the time. And that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons you're, you're um, really, really tired. And uh, so I said, okay, what do I have to do? And he said, well, and he gave me this like long list of herbs and vitamins. And I'm not kidding you. To me, it was long. It was like six or seven hours. And I wasn't working at the time. So I had yeah. no money. And, um, and, and the worst part is he told me I was going to have to do it three to six months before I'd see results. I was like, <laughs> you're kidding me. Right. And, um, and of course he wasn't. So I said, okay, well, I can't do all of them. So what ones would you start with? Like if I, you're just starting. So I chose, um, I chose, do you want me to share the ones that I yeah. chose? With you? Yeah. Let's okay, yeah, so, take us down that path. Yeah. So I chose uh, vitamin C. Mm -hmm. Um, and I took, um, like a lot, well, to me, it was a lot like 15 to 2000 milligrams in the morning and night. And I took an, um, like an echinacea tincture, um, regularly morning and night. And then I took a B, like a B, um, complex mm -hmm. regularly. And those are the three that I committed to and that I knew I needed to start with. And those were the ones that worked for me. And then, um, and then I added red clover extract. And uh, when I read it, added red clover extract, it was like, because I could feel like I could feel the difference. Oh. And, you know, I never felt the differences right away when I first started taking the herbs and vitamins, but I noticed like this, this just this little shift inside where mm. it wasn't like I all of a sudden had energy, but I, I wasn't getting sicker. Whereas mm. before that I was getting sicker, getting sicker, getting sicker, you know, more often, yeah. Um, I'd wake up in the morning and my muscles would be like really sore. And I feel like I pulled muscles and I hadn't exercised for like weeks. So this was impossible, yeah. Yeah. that kind of thing. So, and the other thing that I did was I made water my priority. So, because I learned that it's kind of like, if you go to the bathroom all day in the same toilet, you don't flush it. It's not a very yeah. clean or pretty environment, right? 
Yeah. It gets stale and, and stinky fast. Same. <laughs> stale yeah. and stinky fast. Right. And our body is the same. Our body is 80% plus water. And so if you're not flushing your body with water on a regular basis, yeah. then all that sticky, like it makes it sticky and icky on the inside. Right. And so I'm like, oh, that totally made sense to me. And so I, I started to just really make water, like one of my best friends and I, um, drink it. And I noticed that when I am really well hydrated, I don't, I didn't have like the achiness necessarily that I was experiencing every single day. So again, I wasn't getting better, but I wasn't getting worse. And this was a really big thing. And then eventually over time, of course, I started to get better and, um, magic started to happen. That is amazing. And so what, um, what was the tipping point for you? Was it just time? Do you find like through implementing all of this where there was all of a sudden a shift or was there a profound moment that you can remember? Yeah. Thanks for asking that Nicolette. I think it was a combination. I think it was that shift of going to that support group and seeing how bad it could get for me. And then going and seeing my doctor and saying, has anyone ever gotten better from this? Um, what can I do? Like, if this is true, what can I do? And just really, I was so committed to getting better. Mm. And I had, and I, and I, and I changed my every single day, you know, every single day before up until that point, I was waking up and noticing where I was sore and how much pain I was in. It was like, I was in so much pain and I was so tired and I shifted to that mindset. Right. So if I can learn how to be sick or learn how to be in pain then I can unlearn how to be pain in pain mm-hmm. so if I'm do, unlearning then what does that mean you know what does that look like and so I started to notice in my body where I did feel good you know like if my hands felt good or my thumb felt good then I just really presence myself that and imagine that um like emerging and expanding into the rest of my body and so and up until that point it was the pain that was like the roots like you know going through my body just kind of taking it over and then shifting that mindset to okay we're going to we're going to retrain you Mm -hmm. and this is what we're how we're going to start so it's it's actually amazing Yeah, so powerful and so amazing. And I've seen it happen before. Uh, We'll definitely put a link to one of our guests that we had on the show because she was in a wheelchair after an accident and she'd been in the wheelchair for seven years. And she actually being in the wheelchair had that very same thought of you that, oh, wow, okay, you know what? Our brain is responsible for all of these things. Like if I even think about cutting up a lemon, my mouth starts watering. How does that reaction actually happened because it was just the thought of the lemon made me salivate and so she started to look into you know what else could the brain do then could it unlearn this pain and she was in a documentary that we did um that we were both in that's where i met her and it's on a scale of one to ten and yeah it was incredible because she was there presenting at the documentary and walking and not in a wheelchair, super fit, runs every day, like, and really to be out of that. Um, and, and the doctors had said she would most likely be like that for the rest of her life in the wheelchair. Yeah. And so yeah. your brain is incredibly powerful, whether you use the power of the brain to actually heal yourself directly, spontaneously, immediately, um, or 
you use the power of your brain to change your perception. Because even just That's doing right. that perception is that one degree course correct, right? That's and right. then, yeah, and that other part that I love too, because I practice something, I, I, it's something I learned in a book. I got the book called Instant Healing. And I love that that's exactly what you do. You go to a place on your body that doesn't have any pain and it could actually just have no sensation. Like it's quite a neutral spot and, you know, it could yeah. be on the back of your thigh or it could be like, you know, on your forearm and you press it. And if it doesn't hurt, then you focus on that place and then you connect to the place that does hurt. And all you do is visualize this neutral pain or this good or neutral feeling this or it could be a good feeling moving through and because you have both it's the polarity it's the opposites yeah. and you just keep winding them through until all of a sudden you literally notice that the pain goes it like melts away that's right and yeah. this is all happening just with the power of your mind and yeah. i've helped so many people who've had so much you know chronic pain in their shoulders and my husband who couldn't ski for a season because of his ankle. And finally I was like, I'm tired of this complaining because he wasn't <laughs> going to make that one degree course correct. And he just was going to sit and complain about it. And so finally I was just like, let's do this. And he went out skiing the very next day and wow. my jaw hit the ground. He didn't even think twice about it. He was so happy to get back to skiing. But you know, <laughs> if I wasn't such a busy mom running all these businesses, I probably would have taken more time to focus on it and study it more intensely, but which is exactly what you did. Yeah. So I want to jump then too, it almost feels like this concussion, the first concussion that you got when you were 19 set you up so well to then with so many tools and resources that when you did get into this car accident and suffered your, um, that traumatic brain injury that mm -hmm. did a lot of, I'm assuming all, all of those beautiful gifts served you the second time round or because you had a hard time remembering, like, what was that like? Because I know you even said it was hard to even know that you had a brain injury. Yeah, you know, I think it was both. I think it was my nemesis and my, mm. uh, my friend, because, because I had this belief that if, you know, it's such a, it's such a, um, how do I say this? It's such a, um, when we lose our health, it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And when we have a belief that we can heal ourselves and then it doesn't happen, it's even more vulnerable mm -hmm. because it's almost like, what am I doing wrong? Why isn't this working? Mm -hmm. You know, what's wrong like, with me? What's wrong with me? Right. Yeah. Like what that, what? Like, it's very, very confusing, Nicolette. And mm -hmm. there was a couple of things happening. One is um, I couldn't really remember my training very well. Like I knew I knew things, but I wasn't too sure. Like I, I knew I knew things that a person could do to, um, you know, a, a, like there's like we, by changing our diet, we can impact how we feel. Like if we have arthritis and we change our diet, we can right. actually impact how we feel in our joints, right? We can actually yeah. have almost fully no reverse pain. it People actually yeah. can have no pain hundred yeah. percent. And so I knew I knew these things, but I couldn't remember what they were. And I thought that was really odd. And then I also had this belief that if a person um, did all the right things that they could heal. And at the same time in my practice, I also held the space for people that, you know, 
they might not have moved the needle as much or as quickly as, mm. as um, you know, my client that I had um, like the week before kind of thing. And so um, it was really humbling because it really showed me this brain injury really showed me that healing is not, it is not getting rid of our illness or disease or the mm -hmm. condition that we want to get rid of. It's just not. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I still think there's value in it. And I have my, you know, I have, I'm in full health. I have like a person could say like, um, you, you know, I've had, I, I don't know that I have a hundred percent recovery, but I feel like I've had a hundred percent recovery because I feel good with who I am, where I'm at mm. and what I can do today. Um, so as much as the polarity and that concussion in 1990 set me up for the one that I got in 2003, it was also hard because I thought I could heal myself. Like I yeah. thought I could make myself better if I did all the right things. And that wasn't true. Yeah. So when that's not true, how do you, how do you meet yourself? Like when you're doing all the things, right. Yeah. How do you meet yourself? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. I think for every practitioner who does work with people and they help them through their healing journeys, because mm -hmm. you can have two people and they have the exact same condition and one heals and the other one doesn't in your life, you know, and, and I know for myself, I will take that personally. I'm like, what have I yeah. done wrong? Have I not explained it well to them? Did they not understand the science behind the food and the healing? Or, you know, did mm -hmm. they not have enough support systems? And then I start to want to blame the entire system that's supporting them, um, you know, especially, you know, when I have clients who also have mental health conditions like depression, yeah. anxiety, and suicide, because we don't have, you know, societal support systems um, for people until they hit the version of rock bottom that would get them into right. a hospital. So then that's mm -hmm. hard. So, but it's as opposed to, I love what you just said, because we can still appreciate the healing journey. Mm -hmm. so without necessarily that getting that end result. And it is a, it's a hard lesson to learn because I've, I've had clients who've passed away and, you know, yeah. and again, it's not a failure when that happens because there was so much that was rich and got, was gained in the experience of working with them that they experienced in their families coming together to help with the healing. So yeah, it's yes. true. It's an entirely, and so that makes me have to reframe my question that I want to ask you is I want to ask, so how did you heal from that? But that's not what I want to ask anymore. I want to ask, what did that healing experience look like? Is that what, is that how I would frame it? I guess, because you went from, you know, your memory being, you, you couldn't remember a lot, right? No, and was it short term no. or long term that was effective? Yeah, it was both. Um, it was both. Like I couldn't remember, um, you know, I still read stories in health in a hurry and I'm like, I wrote that. And, you know, mm -hmm. I can kind of remember them now, but I remember reading them going, I don't remember this. Like, right. I, I don't remember this. And I remember my brothers and sisters telling me stories about, you know, like, I don't know if in your family you tell stories about each other. And that was so funny when, or don't you remember that? And I'm like, no idea, no clue. So I had these big black, um, 
holes in my memory. And then the, my short-term memory was um, less than great too. And a, an example of that, it was, um, I had moved out to Saskatchewan and, um, <laughs> and I was uh, at a, at a, I was at an event and I was being, um, I was with, with, with Dave and we were talking to a couple and I was getting frustrated because I had been out in Saskatchewan for, I don't know, a year or two. And, and I was so tired of him not introducing me to people or I thought he was not introducing me to people. So I interrupt the conversation and um, I put out my hand to shake their hand. I was like, hi, I said, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Natalie, I'm Natalie Forsbauer, Dave's girlfriend. And um, I moved out here from DC and they're like, yeah, yeah, we've met. And I was like, mm. I'm like, are you, are you sure we've met? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we've met um, a couple of times actually. And, and I knew that um, Dave had had a girlfriend with short blonde hair before. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure he's not in a relationship with anyone else. And I'm really confused because I'm the kind of person who remembers everyone I meet. I remember right. what they look like, what we talked about, how many kids they had, where they went to supper, you know, like everything we talked about, it was the way my brain worked. And, and so now I'm in this situation with these people are like, yeah, we met, um, we actually met on the weekend at the kids, you know, school fair. And then we met, um, at church on Sunday. And we also mm -hmm. saw each other at softball, um, and so there's this, we, we had met each other three times in the matter in less than a week. And I wasn't remembering them. And I looked at Dave. I was like, Dave, I'm like, I've, I've met them. And he did one of these. Right. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. Cause I knew other odd things were happening, Nicolette. Like I knew that I couldn't remember how to use a stove. Like I couldn't I couldn't match the dials on the stove to the burners. It, it didn't matter what I did. I just right. couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't remember what you baked and what you cooked on top of the stove. And I couldn't, I knew a chair was for sitting on, but I couldn't remember what it was called, you know? So I knew there was lots of disconnects, but I had no idea. I had no idea how bad it was until uh, that conversation with that couple. And I was like, oh, this is weird. So then to get to, I was going to say to get through, and that, that again mm -hmm. is like, there's a defined point. So I want to rephrase that as well. So to, there, there must have come a point when you really realized, okay, there is definitely, I have a brain injury. Like, mm. did you, how, and I want to say, how did you go about fixing it? But that's not what I want to say anymore. So, so what was the, the, what did that healing journey and path look like for you? Which I know it's obviously, you know, as much as you say, it's, you feel like a hundred percent because you accept yourself where you are. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how, what did, what did you do in that process? Because there are so many people who have traumatic brain injuries. Like you can get a traumatic brain injury just from riding the roller coaster and your brain yeah. gets rattled. And you know, that with the past, you know, few previous like minor concussions is enough to change your entire body chemistry. It is. Yeah. yeah. So, so what are some of the tools that you used? Um, and how did you navigate that, that healing process? Well, there, there's a lot of things I did. And I think, um, you know, for the first five years, it was really about fixing myself. It was about getting my memory back. It was mm -hmm. about having my SHIT together, if I can say that. Yeah, it's about getting <laughs> your shit together. Yes, for having sure. My, getting my shit together, like <laughs> figuring out how to stay focused. It was figuring out how to like, um, remember thing and it was figuring out uh it was you know uh, when I realized I had a brain injury 
or I'm not too sure when it was, but I remember a time in the first five years of having a brain injury where I was like, oh, I think this is what people who are like have early set Alzheimer's might feel Mm -hmm. because I felt like I was kind of really good at covering things up and hiding things. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, uh, like even a few years ago, having a conversation like this was really difficult, like extremely draining. And um, I used to be a person who could engage in conversations like this, but after the brain injury, honestly, when I was talking to people, it was like, wah, 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 wah. And I just mm-hmm. listened to them talk and nod. Right. And, nod. and I go, oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And because and I had such a hard time following conversations. So it was like, honestly, it was like, you know, it, imagine having a tool shed and going out and finding everything that you thought you might need to fix your car. That's what I was doing. I was like, what do I need to eat? Um, like, how, how do I visualize? Like, um, what, like, it was just like everything. It was just, I just like, was my hands were raw because I was trying so many things mm-hmm. to just try to fix myself. And then five years into the brain injury is when I really came to terms with having a brain injury and accepting the diagnosis and going, okay, so if this is true, so not that it was true, but Mm -hmm. if this is true and this is as good as I'm going to get, then what can I do today? Mm. You know, what can I be successful at today? Yeah. And that was one of the biggest shifts. Because up until then, it was like, it was, um, what, what can I do to be successful? And what can I do to get, you know, everything back that I thought I had before? Yeah. And the person I was before, like, how can I get her back? Yeah. And this, because this illusion happens. Um, and I believe, like, I know that I was super high functioning before. And there's this illusion, though, that happens that, um, that, like and there's this like connection to identity that Mm. um is so lost and so in this one article that I read um I think it was it was by a naturopathic doctor and he had interviewed a whole bunch of brain injury survivors and he said it's really interesting because the number one um uh, challenge that they had was a loss of self So there's all these things that happen for people with brain injuries, right? Loss of memory, loss of focus, loss of concentration. And then there can be physical, like aphasia, not being able to find words, all these things. But the number one thing was like loss of self. Mm. And then I did a a bunch of research myself um, with, with a few hundred people. And it was also like what their number one challenge was. And it was loss of sense of self, loss of confidence. And when we lose that, um, it's almost like we lose everything because there's, um, because it's who we think we were, right? It's who we think we are and it's how we define ourselves. And so uh, me reorienting at the five year mark going, okay, (laughs) so if this is true, then I'm going to have these struggles for the rest of my life. And how am I going to deal with this? Like, how can I show up? What am I going to put importance on? And um, what can I do today? So I had three little kids and I knew for sure 
that my job was to love them mm -hmm. and to make sure they're fed every day. So though, like, so I, I held on to that and then I put routines into place. So I was so adverse to putting routines into place because I was a free spirit. I, not that I, not, this isn't why, but I grew up in an organic farm, right? Like I was like, you know, fly by the seat of my pants, like no plans. <laughs> That's just kind of the way I rolled. And people wanted me to put these routines in place. I was like, no, I don't like routines. They don't work for me. But I learned after the brain injury that routines are actually probably one of my best friends because yeah. they help they help retrain the brain and they also help set me up for success because now I know that I'm feeding my kids at in like seven or eight o'clock in the morning and at noon and at five. And then we have snacks in between and then we have a bedtime routine and this is what we do at bed. Like I had, I had literally, I had signs all over my house. Like what you do to get ready for supper, what you do after supper, what you do to get ready for bed, what you do um, to clean off the table. Like it was just, um, <laughs> it was relearning how to live in a new way that I was and meeting myself there instead of trying to, you know, make it all better. Well, what I love about um, what you said about the routines and also writing it down is that it reduces brain fatigue, whether you have a mm -hmm. brain injury or not. Like I know for myself, if I can, if I just take time the day before and just say, you know what, I'm going to do this at this time tomorrow, this at this time, I don't have to make any decisions the next day because you don't know how you're going to wake up. If you're going to wake up tired or, you know, you might end up, you know, one of the kids are sick or something like that. But to be able to just look at that, it's just like the decision-making mm -hmm. process is removed. And the minute That's the decision, because right. it takes a lot of glucose to fuel our brains to make a decision. And I too, I love free spirit. Let's just go with the flow. But then that also sets you up for a lot of other things that can happen that all of a sudden you have to use that glucose in your brain and just be like, ah, and then once it's used up, it's like, you, you have to eat more food to be able to get it back. Like it's not going to come from somewhere else. And so that's it's, right. You know, so I do love that actually, because, and anybody who's listening, like just try it out as much as you don't want to have routine. I, the, what we use, cause my kids go to Waldorf and the term that they use a lot, it's, it's about having rhythm because routine can sound yes. like so boring and structured and yeah. I don't want that. Whereas just having yeah. rhythm in your day. And so what you're doing is creating mm. rhythm. So I love that as a tool mm -hmm. for anybody, but especially, you know, you don't even have to have a traumatic brain injury, but you know, if you have no. kids that are been diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, kids as mm -hmm. well love knowing what's coming next. We tend to think like yeah. kids are great and I'm just going to take them and pack them over. No, they sometimes don't like being moved from playtime to like having to get into the car to going to school, then having to leave school, then to come home. They like to know what's coming next. And so by yeah, bringing them into right. that process too, it reduces their brain fatigue of, of not knowing. So yeah, that's a really, really good tip. So, so you did all of these beautiful things and I do love how you said your hands were raw from trying all of these things, but I just have to say that mm. I, I just love that you did that because mm. I've seen on the other side, what that looks like when you just hand yourself over to your doctor who gives you a diagnosis and a prognosis, which could be that, Hey, you're going to live with this for the rest of your life. And then you stop trying, mm -hmm. right? That's it. You're just yeah. like, well, there's nothing else I can do, but you have shown that 
you already had a tool shed that was full and there's probably even more tools beyond that. And so you can mm -hmm. just make that decision that you're just going to just keep experimenting, right? Just be like, this is a game. Yeah. We're going to experiment. We're going to leapfrog this. That'll work. That might not work, you know, and, and until you get that's the results right. that you want. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I just, I loved how you named um, all of that. You named so many things in there about the rhythm and, um, and then the other piece I just wanted to echo was um, when we are able to sit with ourselves and orient to where we are and what's opening up, that's kind of where the magic happens. Yeah. Instead of like where we are and everything that's wrong, right? Like yeah. all the stuff, when we can sit with ourselves and like feel all the stuff, like feel all the hard and then go, okay, like what can I do and what's opening up, Yeah. right? Like, what can I do and where are my next steps? And then that's when it's like, when you pour cement, it doesn't dry like that. Pouring cement, you got to like pour the cement and then you got to um, make sure it's super, super smooth. If you don't, if you don't make it sure it's smooth and it's, it's all like bumpy. I don't know if you've ever seen the bumpy cement mm -hmm. because it hasn't been poured smooth or maybe it dried too fast because it's too hot out. When we are, are able to orient to where we are and then just notice what's opening up and taking that next step, it's like kind of like setting that foundation mm -hmm. or that cement, right? So you're, it's like slow and steady and it's just, and it's trusting that, you know, the next, um, the next step will show up, whether that's uh, maybe it's, maybe it's having like freeing brain space because you aren't having to make all those decisions in the day, or maybe it's um, noticing where you actually do need support and having that support come in. Maybe it's noticing the friends you talk to who give you a lot of energy where you're feeling like mm -hmm. uplifted after speaking to them and surrounding yourself with those people. So it's really um, keeping our compass like oriented towards mm -hmm. that yeah i love that we always come back to the the plane analogy or the ship analogy but i think it's a really yeah. great analogy right it's to to be mm -hmm. that pilot on that big boat knowing that you know uh it is a big ship to turn but at the same time yes. through tiny little changes you can get to where you want to go yeah so I want to finish off by really making sure we touch on something that we talked about just before we started recording. And it's this concept mm -hmm. of global regeneration. Mm. And uh, I know we're taking a big leap here from talking about the brain mm -hmm. injury, but I want to do that just so mm. that we leave people with this beautiful concept. So I want to know, uh, this is your concept. This is, you know, something that's important to you, but what does it mean and how do we make global regeneration happen? Well, I'm going to connect it with the brain injury because I think the brain injuries, and I'll say is, is brain injuries, plural, I think it are really what gave me the roots of global regeneration. So there's two pieces here, Nicolette. And one is um, when I was 18, my parents moved from one organic farm to buy a conventional farm. And when we bought that conventional farm, um, it had been sprayed with a lot of different pesticides and herbicides. And I remember picking up handfuls of the earth and it was dry, like it was dry and lifeless. What, like what I would imagine the surface of the moon to be like. 
And I remember thinking, what does my dad see in this? Like, it was, it was that lifeless. And um, we scoured the whole entire 110 acres for worms and we could not find one urn or earthworm. Like we looked, we dug along the barns, we turned over pieces of wood, we ran to the back, like along the waterways and there was nothing. And then over the next months and years, we actually really got to see that soil come to life, Nicolette, where there's like, when you pick up handfuls of that soil today, there's earthworms, like all throughout it and there's life and there's um you know uh, what uh, the red ones um ladybugs and there's uh, beetles and there's um all sorts it's just teeming with life and it's and it, and so to witness um the soil actually coming back to life and that was when i was 18 was probably one of the most transformational experiences of my life because before then I just knew organic farming was like mm, I was told it was better I was told that it was healthier and not necessarily that it was better but that um it was help like it was better for them it was better for the environment because we weren't killing things it was healthier for us because we weren't um eating uh stuff that had been sprayed with poisons so when I saw that the earth actually was a living organism mm -hmm. it, it 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 was it blew my mind and it was so paradigm shifted shifting for me because I was like, this is 110 acres and imagine how many other tens of thousands of acres around the world are being, um, mm -hmm. desiccated and killed off like this. Like, and imagine if we changed the way we worked with the land, what would happen globally? And of course, I was a bit too young to really understand the full um, the full spectrum of that in terms of then I you know got the concussion, went to clarity school. My dad, when I was starting my practice, he said, Natalie, if you really want to change the world or if you really want to teach people about the health, you teach them about soil. And I was like, yes, nobody's going to listen to that. <laughs> like, I get what you're saying, but I'm going to teach them about um, the other stuff first, and then we'll introduce them to soil. Yeah. And then I got this other brain injury. And as I healed Nicolette, I really thought that I was going to go into teaching and connecting people with, um, with their brain health and really tie in food and the way we farm and all that stuff to, um, to the brain and, and, uh, and not just brain injury, but brain health. So, mm you know, the thoughts that we think, the, uh, the, the, how do you say the neuroscience behind it, the anatomy, the foods that we eat, everything. And then as I deepened into that, and this was in 2019, when I was really feeling the urge to step into more of a leadership role around health and professionally, uh, I had this vision of the earth and it was probably one of the most profound experiences mm. that I've ever had because this vision was, um, it was like the earth had totally transformed. It was, the colors were vibrant, the way we were living, the way we were communicating, the way we were interacting was mm. all symbiotic. Like everything was working together and we were working with nature. We were working in unison we were um and it's not to say there weren't there like there's new ways of dealing with conflict there was new ways of building infrastructure like it was one of the most powerful things and i just 
I remember being in that experience and being in that vision and seeing this new earth and was like blown away because, you know, I really thought that I was going to be talking brain health. And I, and I, and when I was present with that, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is where, like, maybe this is the conversation because if we don't look after our earth, then it doesn't matter how much I talk about the brain, there won't be anywhere to talk about the brain. And so that's when I shifted to, um, to global health and planetary health, because I saw the possibility, I saw the transformation of the earth and of the world. And I know it might sound like it's really far away from where we are today, but I really believe it's possible because I've seen the earth heal. I've seen the earth come back to life. And I think that if we can change, we talk about fossil fuels and all the damage they do. And yeah, they do. Yeah, they do for sure. And at the same time, the way we eat every day and the way we farm um, can actually balance that out and count like it can, it can, it can, it can, it can pivot. It can pivot the whole conversation. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And um, I love this uh, vision that you have because I have a very similar vision. I do process coaching uh, with a business life coach um, healer that I worked with and work with. And, you know, she'll take me to this place and then she'll say, say, close your eyes. So I'll be saying like, I have this problem in my business. I want to work through it. And then she says, close your eyes. And then she asks, you know, to see what is it that I see or to explain what I see and and I'll have that exact vision. It'll be like, you know, the world is dry, just like the soil of this farm that your parents bought, this conventional farm where nothing grows and no bugs exist and no insects will even go near it. And then I see, you know, this woman sitting on a mountain and she's shooting arrows. And every time an arrow lands on a place on this, on the planet, all of a sudden life just springs forth from it. But oh, that vision is actually happening. Like it's happening. Yeah. With, the work you're doing, it's happening with the, the land, you know, the farms that you've been involved with, it's happening with your parents' farm, it's happening with the biggest little farm documentary, like, they took a farm just like that, and in a two, like, two growing seasons, you can change that soil and bring the life back to it, so I know that that vision you hold, and I know the vision that I hold, it will happen in our lifetime, and also the second part about what you said is so true, Yes, we have all these cars on the road and everybody thinks if they buy a Tesla that that's going to solve the climate change crisis. But what's going to solve the climate change crisis is how we grow our food and how we distribute our food because that's food right. production and, stu- and a lot of people don't know this, food production and, distri- and distribution contributes more to climate change than all of the fossil fuel vehicles and planes on the planet all stuck together. And that might be a a startling statistic, but it is all comes back to our food production and distribution. And where does that begin? In the soil. So I just, I love. It's so powerful. Yeah, it's it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And it's so refreshing to know that you hold that vision. And I know that there's so many other people out there who hold the same vision that you've described as well. And just Mm -hmm. holding the vision is important, but then there's that action that we take from that too, which is so powerful. So how do we make this, this concept of global regeneration happen? Like, what are your, 
what are some of your ideas and thoughts that we need to do actions we need to take? Oh, I love that you asked. I love that you asked this question, Nicolette. Um, I think there's, there's a lot, there's so there's, you know, there's very little we can do in terms of it doesn't take much mm -hmm. and there's a lot we can do. And, um, you know, in our homes, what we can do is we can grow our own food when we can, you know, even if it's starting off, if you, even if you just have a windowsill, you can grow your own sprouts, or maybe you can grow your own microgreens. And it's actually really simple. Mm -hmm. And growing our own food in our backyards and in our front yards, right? That's and using compost when we're doing that. And that's mm -hmm. really building the soil biology and it's making um, it's waking the soil up. Like it's literally waking the soil up. Mm -hmm. If you go into your backyard right now and you dig a hole and you don't see any earthworms, um, you know that their soil probably needs some inoculation with some good compost tea or compost and mm -hmm. uh, like spreading an inch of compost on your grass in the, in the fall or in, or in the spring is one of the best things that you can actually do for your, do for your, your, the soil and for the grass. So there's that piece. And then eating locally is really helpful eating organically. Um, the chemicals that we use, uh, in agriculture is one of the things that's really, really hurting the soil. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that's not really talked about. And I think that sometimes we feel really hopeless and helpless because sometimes we want to buy organic, but it, we can't because it's too expensive, but we don't know where to get it. Yeah. And what I really like to encourage people to do is, is to meet themselves where they're at and to do what they can, because if a million people buy just one pound of organic apples, that's a million pounds of organic apples being bought, which is a massive shift. And the four per 1000 um, organization has shown that all we need to do is what I say, wake up um, four acres out of every thousand acres to, uh, to, 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 to reach the tipping point, to shift wow. the planet into a healthy place and a healthy state, four acres out of every thousand. That's amazing. And it's similar to what Dr. Zach Bush says as, as well is, you know, he's, uh, the soil regeneration, you know, uh, mm -hmm. MD, and he says we only need 13% of the population, I believe it's 13% to start purchasing organic food, and then the entire climate changes, the entire landscape of our soil, our, um, you know, the way we grow food, which affects also our water systems and air systems, all of that gets cleaned up. And so yeah, we can get there, like we can it's get there. Yeah, it's really powerful. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's really powerful. I totally see it happening. And I you know originally I didn't know that it would happen in our lifetime, but I think it's really possible. It's yeah. really, really possible. I I believe it's it is too. My daughter was just saying at school that um, they had uh, a member of the Green Party come in, and the first thing they said to these grade eight students is they said you know, all these animals have gone extinct and we're humans and we're going extinct too. We have about eight years. And I was mortified. And I was like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, the kids are kind of getting to the age where we can kind of hit them with these shocking facts that won't yeah. numb them and make them want to go to Walmart and start shopping tomorrow. But, yeah. you know, at the same time though, I was like, I hope that there are some solutions that were provided in that. And so I have to have a conversation with my daughter and then to figure out like, okay, what, what was the outcome of saying that? But um, 
you know, so mm. my daughter was left with a little loss of hope there, but I am extremely, mm. extremely hopeful. And one of the reasons I'm so hopeful is because I know that there are individuals like you and your siblings and your parents out there in the world that are just, you know, writing these books and you are leading these courses and you are providing these services, you are educating, you have your heart and soil magazine, which we didn't even get to touch on, but we're definitely going to okay. include the link below. Um, but yeah, you definitely provide me with not even just a glimpse of hope, but bushels of hope that we can turn all of this around and that we can do it quickly. Yeah. And can I just say one more thing? To yeah. Um, and that was that just to um, dovetail on the answering that question. And that is to really amplify the global conversation about global regeneration. And so mm -hmm. rather than focusing on everything we're doing wrong, really lean into what you are doing well and what you can do today and what you are doing today and amplifying um you know there's lots of people doing a lot of really cool things and there's some scientists who think their way is the right way, right way and there's other researchers who are saying their way is the right way yeah. and one of the um, purposes of heart and soil is to really bring the global conversation together and to amplify all the amazing yeah restoration and regeneration of the soil and of the earth that is happening through organic farming through biodynamic farming through agroecology through people um growing their own food through people buying organic when they can and just yeah. and asking the questions and and showing up for themselves and for the planet so it's just i really want to presence that um energy for people that uh that it's hopeful and to just meet yourself where you're at and do what you can and just keep generating that conversation because that's what that's what lifts the energy and that's what um brings us into the new earth yes the new earth i think there's a book written by dr suzuki uh that also is called the new earth and you also reminded me of just two other books i just want to share with the uh, listeners so definitely mm -hmm. you need to get your hands on heart and soil. So definitely head over to Natalie's website uh, to get access to that. But there's a wonderful book called, by Chris Turner called The Geography of Hope. And then of course there's David Suzuki's book called um, Good News for a Change as well. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that one too, is that we have to, just like when we are ill, like you said in the beginning, we take inventory, we take stock of what is right with us, what is good with us, what feels good in our body. And the same thing on a planetary level too, to focus on those incredible stories of hope, on the things that are happening that we're doing right because we all know we're we're all a sucker for some bad news, right? We get excited about yes. that. It riles up the parts of our brains. But the same parts of our brains also get ignited when uh, we hear stories of hope in the, you know, chicken soup for the soul stories. And, um, mm -hmm. and so I think it is definitely important. So if you're listening to this, definitely go out there and find those amazing stories. You could find them in Heart and Soul magazine and share those stories with others, because that is the one thing that we all need right now is hope for sure in this world. Uh, and, and the knowledge that we do have the power to make that change to get the results that we want to see. So we're going to wrap up here, but we're going to have to have you back on the show, Natalie, because there's so many parts that we didn't even get into uh, that I would love to get into um, with you. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your stories, 
of healing, uh, your journeys of healing with us, because I know people are going to be able to take these lessons away and apply it into their own life or to be able to help someone mm. in their family, in their community, apply the things that you mentioned um, to be able to get similar results to what you have been able to do for yourself and your communities as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Nicolette. And thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing with the uh, the Green Mustache Cafe and all your advocacy work and the conversations that you have and the people you connect others with through your podcast and all the resources and the books that you share. It's really encouraging and super uplifting. And I deeply appreciate who you are and the work you're doing in this world. So thank you. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Natalie. I appreciate those words and I'm holding them very, very close inside of me. Um, Thank you. It takes it takes a village, right? And we're a part yeah. of that global village. So it's just exciting to be in this day and age with you as well and doing uh, very similar, similar work. So yeah, that yeah. feeling is mutual. Well, big love. Thank, Thank you. you. Big love to you and big love to our listeners as well. Thank you all for being with us and listening to all these beautiful stories that our guests like Natalie share. So until next time, everyone. Bye-bye. How did you love that show? How did you enjoy that show? I want to know. So please send us your feedback. If you have any ideas for podcast guests that have healing stories that you would like for us to invite onto our show so that they can share what they did to overcome an injury or an illness using beautiful, alternative, natural ways, particularly around food as medicine, then please let us know who they are so we can invite them on the show. Also, you know what to do. This is, has been an incredible year of, you know, dealing with COVID, dealing with, um, you know, the wonderful things that COVID has brought to us, but also the scary, sad things that COVID has brought to us. But despite all of that, there is still light in this world. And the reason there is so much light in this world is because people continue to share stories of hope and resilience and overcoming barriers. And that's what we need to continue to do as we move into 2022. So you know what to do. Share this podcast with someone you know that suffered from a brain injury. Share this podcast, you know, with someone that wants to get into regenerative biodynamic farming or farming in general, and maybe they don't know about biodynamic farming just yet share this podcast with them. If any element of this podcast resonated with you, it is your job to pass this information on to others so that they can continue to learn and grow because it's our collective effort in wanting to do better that is going to heal this planet, heal our bodies, heal our souls. So thanks everyone for an incredible 2022, 2021. It's been a wonderful year. Thanks to all of you listeners and for doing your good work in the world of sharing stories of healing. See you in the new year.